How are we doing? So uh, we, we've had a lot of talk early about anxiety and those kinds of things, uh, and I'm preaching about money and finances. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to carry all the talk that we've had about anxiety and worry and God fighting your battles as we talk about a message that might make us anxious, uh, that might make us feel some kind of way. I don't know if there's any kind of thing that makes us more anxious than finances, right? Do we have enough? Are we going to have enough? How do we pay this bill? How do we do this thing? How do we pay for our children? All of those kinds of things that are going on. So I want to start with something fun. Um, Today is Claire's Gotcha Day, um, which means 12 years ago, we adopted Claire into our family, uh, and uh, it was amazing. And so we're going to go eat ridiculous amounts of Ethiopian food today uh, and celebrate as a family. She gets gifts today. She gets double birthdays is what she gets. She gets her adoption day and her birthday. And so I I made a little list here, and this has nothing to do with our message today. This is just for your benefit. All of you, how many of you have kids that are teenagers or have had children that are teenagers? Raise your hand. All right. I just made a little list here. Uh, I'm going to call it the 10 laws of teenagers at home. Um, These are things that I've noticed that my children do, and I'm assuming other children do as well. So I'm just going to name some of these. Maybe they'll connect with you. Maybe they won't. Uh, Maybe you who have children at home can just, we can just be in this together. Uh, Maybe some of you who don't, you can look forward to the future because your children are going to do all of these things. And maybe some of you whose children are grown can just say, oh yeah, mine did that too. Uh, So here we go. Uh, Number one. Ten laws of teenagers at home. All of your shoes should be nice and clean. They should also block every high traffic area in your home. (laughs) Number two, go and get a drink of water. Drink it. Then a little later, grab another cup and get another drink of water. Do not put either in the sink or the dishwasher. Number three, when your parents take you to the store to specifically buy something that you need for you, ask if you can stay in the car while they go in and get it. Number four, often, this is often, often say to your parents one minute, then wait hours. (laughs) Number five, load ice cubes into any water container that you're using with a 60% success rate. (laughs) Number six, while sitting on a couch in, while sitting on a couch, any location within arm's length is an appropriate place to place your trash. Number seven, Always wait a few weeks to unpack from a trip, especially if there are things that are wet and sweaty in your suitcase. (laughs) Number eight, the proper way to hang a towel is not to hang it at all. Number nine, empty food boxes, then leave them in the pantry. And lastly, when you hear the word dinner, immediately start a lengthy task. Um, those are my 10 laws of teenagers. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I saw that this week. I loved all of them, and I, there was like 30 of them, and I was like, oh, every one of these applies to my children uh, as well. We're, we're, we're in a series called Entrusted, and we're not talking about teenagers and their work things, but teenagers are expensive, and they cost a lot of money, and they go off to college, and that costs money, and um, all of my anxiety around money is, is usually around paying for things for my children, and so I know that it connects in some small way. But last week, we discussed our work life. Um, we talked about how only 20% of American Christians actually believe they're living into their calling, that 80% 
of Christians in the United States would say, we are not living the life that we are called to live and that my calling has no connection to my occupation in any way. Um, and if 80% of us are not living out our kingdom calling, it's no wonder the church is ineffective and struggling and trying to figure things out. Um, one of the greatest challenges to pursuing our calling is finances. And so one of the conversations that always comes up when we start talking about kingdom dreams is how do I pay for this? How, how do I live into the kingdom dream that God has called me to if there's not financing attached to it? How do I live out my kingdom calling every day of my life when I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills? How do I do all of those things? So today I want to talk about money. Um, and if you weren't here last week, I want you to know this. I'm not talking about money because the church needs a bunch of money. Right? There's no bait and switch at the end of this. Right? Uh, we, we are not at the end of this going to do a big campaign. We're not building anything. We're not creating anything. Our budget is good right now. We want you to continue to give, but we want you to give because giving is what's good for you, not just what good, what's good for the church. And so we want to talk about this. Like I framed this up, and I wanted to talk about this intentionally in a time where our finances were good and fine so that nobody thought there was an ulterior motive to this message. We're preaching this message because I think Christians need to have the right theology about money. I think we need to understand money. Jesus talked about money extensively in the Bible. Like, just think through the parables. How many of the parables are about investment? How many of the parables are about finances? How many of the parables are about money? Jesus spent an enormous amount of time talking about money, and I just want to confess to you that the church has done a poor job talking about money. Because typically when the church talks about money, it's connected to something that they're doing, right? So we're going to do a message about money, and at the end of it, we need a lot of money, that's how the church talks about money. Has anybody experienced that? Okay, I hope we don't experience that here. Uh, and I wanna talk about money because I think it's important and I think it's significant and I think it matters, but I wanna do it because it matters to our everyday life. Um, Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus said this. He said, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, then who will entrust you to true riches? In another version of this, it says, if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, then who will trust you with the riches of heaven? Jesus actually makes a correlation to say, like, our finances are entrusted to us. We have been given something. Some have been given a little. Some have been given a lot. Most have been given a medium portion of this. We've all been given something in terms of finances, and Jesus is watching to see if we're faithful with it. He's paying attention to see if we're faithful with the finances that we have. And it actually says, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? There is this principle of entrusting that we're going to dig into in the coming weeks. Here's what I want you to know, though. Money is neutral. We have these beliefs that money is evil, that money is the thing that's going to cause all the problems in the world. But money follows the same patterns of everything in our world. It was created. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. Oftentimes, we take the created things that were intended to be used for good and we use them for evil, right? This is what we do. This is called our sinful nature. This is the nature of the world. We take the things that God gave us to use for good and we use them for evil. But it also can be redeemed. 
Everything about our finances can be redeemed. Money follows the same pattern of everything else in the world. We could say the same thing about sex. We could say the same thing about entertainment. We could say the same thing about music. We could say the same thing about so many different things. It was created for good. It can be used for evil. We, can, we often have a temptation to use it for evil, but it all can be redeemed. Does that make sense? Uh, Craig Bloomberg, a professor of New, Test- New Testament theology at da- Denver Theological Seminary, says these five things about money, and I, I just want to submit these to us at the start. Money and material possessions were created by God to be good gifts for his people, to be used for all of creation's flourishing. The intent of money is that we would use it for good. The intent of finances is that we would use it to bless others. The intent of giving dollars to a faithful follower of Jesus is because what Jesus believes that when he gives dollars to a faithful follower of him, when he entrusts us as his money manager to manage the money that he has given us, he trusts that we're going to distribute those to the people that need it. There is a trust and a belief that my people are going to be a generous people, that I'm going to bless them to be a blessing. Um, Number two is, after human sin entered the world, money often can have a powerful, seductive force for selfish ambition and can be used to harm others and the rest of creation. Money has an allure that other things don't have, right? It has a pull. It almost pulls it to it. We always want more. There's never enough. And even when we have a lot, we can use it for good or we can use it for evil. There's this pull to hoard it, to keep it to gather it, to store it, to not distribute it generously the way that God intends us to. Number three, perhaps the best safeguard against the wrong use of wealth is to be generous and to give it away. I think that's true. I think it's a true principle. One of the best safeguards against us acquiring and grabbing too much is that we're generous and that we view our dollars not as our own, but as belonging to God. And so I'm just the money manager, I'm just the steward of something that he's given to me. That's how I view my job at the church. This is God's church, not mine. I'm the steward of it. And I'm trying to steward it faithfully week after week. I'm trying to make the right decisions. I'm trying to make the right decisions with the church's money, with the church's resources, with our staff's resources, with all of these things. I'm stewarding all of these things on behalf of God. If I go away, somebody else comes in and stewards it. I'm just a steward. I'm just a manager of this place until new management comes in. And you guys might want to put a sign up that says, under new management, right? And uh, there's restaurants and stuff that do that. It usually means the previous manager did a terrible job. So I hope that doesn't happen here. But, but uh, I've always wondered why churches don't do that. Number four, when some people through no fault of their own have so little that their health and wealth are in danger or even their lives, it means that other people have too much and are not distributing it. The issue is that it's not that there's not enough wealth in the world. The issue is not that there's not enough dollars in the world. The issue is that the majority of the wealth in our country and most countries is held by a very small few who are not generous and are not distributing it out to others. Lastly, stewardship is ultimately a matter of the heart, and it's an indication of spiritual life and spiritual maturity. Um, Whether you agree with these statements or not, it's fair to say that our understanding and our relationship with money in terms of our relationship with Jesus is complicated. It's hard. I wish that Jesus had been incredibly, incredibly thorough sometimes and just given us a list of this is everything that you do with your money. 
I wish he had given us kind of a standard of all of these different things. This is what you do here. This is how much you give to the poor. This is how much you give here. This is how, the only thing he's talked about is this is how much you give to the church. And so there's not this manual that says, this is what I do. If I have $100, five of it goes here, 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 five of it goes, like there's none of that. It just simply says 10% goes to the church. So here's what we run into. I believe we fall into two traps. The first is the poverty trap, and the second is the prosperity trap. And we got a little grid for this. Can we get that up there? There's this kind of bouncing back and forth between these two spaces. And so for many of us, we have this kind of poverty theology. Um, We believe that God loves it when we are poor, and it's holy for us to be poor. We believe that poverty is actually holier than wealth. And if I don't have, it's because I'm holy, because I've not received. The other uh, side, the other trap, and think about this as two ditches. Remember a few weeks ago when Douglas showed the video of the goat that jumped in one ditch and then immediately jumped into the second ditch? Think of this as these two ditches that we can fall in. So the first is believing that I'm holy because I'm poor. The second is believing that I'm righteous because I'm rich. Right? And so the second theological belief is the prosperity trap. And that's the belief that I will prosper financially if I pray enough, if I'm obedient enough, if I ask sincerely, and that God wants me to be rich. And if I'm not rich, I'm sinning or I'm disobedient. Have you heard any of these kind of teachings in the church? I've heard both of these. I've sat under teachings where both of these have been prescribed and taught and broken down that it's it's holy to do this or it's a name it, claim it, health and wealth, prosperity gospel kind of thing. And both of them miss the mark completely. And so I want to step into that today. Let's start with prosperity. Uh, I went to a home recently. Um, It was the most expensive home I've ever walked into in my entire life. Uh, It was ridiculous. I mean, it was extravagant is not even the word for it. And, and what's crazy about the world that we live in now is you can snoop on people, right? And so you can kind of find out like, oh, this is a really nice house. Let's go to Zillow. <laughs> right? How many of y'all do that? Honestly, you, you've, you've, yeah, you all know you, you do it. I did it too because I was like, all right, this is a really nice house. This is crazy. How much does this, because it was like a four-story house in the middle of, on the beach in California, crazy, crazy views, amazing kind of thing. And I was there with a number of pastors, and I gotta be honest with you that sometimes when pastors get in spaces like that, they immediately start thinking, I bet this person could fund my mission. (laughs) It's a confession, right? So the owners come in, and there's a few pastors, and they're talking, and I can tell that one of the pastors is, he's going that route. Like, he's going that direction. He's like, how do I become friends with them really fast and get them to write me a million dollar check? That's what he was thinking in his head. He didn't say it out loud. I know he was thinking it, right? Because I might have in a bad place in my heart thought the same thing. Uh, he's, he's thinking all that, and he's asking them all of these kinds of, kinds of questions. Um, four-car garage, every stall in the four-car garage was filled with a sports car that was worth more than my home. Uh, the house was the house on the beach in a certain area. My friend was talking to him, and, and, and this was the phrase that, 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 that they use. We can't afford to give to any charities or, charity, or, or churches or organizations right now. Uh, we can't afford to do that. So here's my, here's my question. Was, that, was the owners of that house prosperous? 
I want to suggest that real prosperity is not defined by what we have, own, and keep for ourselves, but it's defined by how much we give away. Real prosperity is rooted, and one of the greatest challenges of teaching on prosperity is that most church people immediately, immediately believe that prosperity is selfish. When the truth is, if prosperity is about me giving away, is if, if prosperity is about me being the steward of what God has given me and faithfully stewarding that to others, then God wants all of us to be prosperous. God just doesn't, doesn't want us to be selfish. One of, so 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able to. And he wants to bless you abundantly because what he wants to do is at all times, in all things, in all your needs, you will abound in what? In every good work. We call those good works kingdom dreams. God wants to give you these things. He entrusts us with the real resources. And, and real prosperity is not about, um, uh, it's not about possessing, it's about blessing, it's not about owning, it's about what we give away. And what God wants to do is he wants to give you provision for his vision. He wants to give you all that you need to accomplish the thing that he's called you to do so that you may bless abundantly. Oh, we went too fast there, go back. So that we may bless abundantly, so that we may have all that we need and so that we may abound in every good work. So let me give you my definition of prosperity. Now we can go to that next one. Prosperity is having enough to pursue the kingdom dream that God has called you to and having some left over to bless others to pursue their kingdom dreams. Prosperity means I have the resources that I need to pursue the thing that God has asked me to do. I believe this without a shadow of a doubt. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And so when God places a mantle on you, when God invites you into dream with him, when he asks you to step into a space where you're stepping out in faith, where you don't know where the funds are going to come from or where the resources are going to show up, when God has called you, he provides he gives us the resources. He gives us the needs. And so prosperity is having everything I need to pursue the thing that God has called me to. Not everything I need so that I can have a nice new boat or I can have a four-car garage or I can have this house over here. He wants to give me everything I need so that I align with him. The goal of the Christian life is for me to walk in step with the Father. It's that I walk in step with him. I'm not running ahead of him. I'm not lagging behind him. I'm walking with the spirit. I'm learning to know him. I'm learning to live the life that he would live if he were me. And in doing so, I'm able to pursue the thing that I was made to do. If there is a good work that has been prepared for each of us in advance, then God wants to fund that good work. But he also wants us to be so generous that we look at other people and we see, I see the good work that God's prepared you to do, and that he's prepared you to do, and he's prepared you to do, and I want to help fund the good work that he's prepared you to do. And so we're generous because we believe that our generosity actually leads to blessing, that it spreads out, and that when we're prosperous, here, here's the way it should work, guys. When one Christian is prosperous... All of us are prosperous. When one of us wins, all of us wins. 
Financial authority, here's a, here's a good definition of financial authority. Financial authority means this. God does not simply want to deliver us from poverty, but he wants to position us into financial authority where we are empowered to fulfill every design assignment and to help others pursue theirs as well. That's when I have financial authority. Financial authority doesn't mean that anything about my assets and my, my, my revenue and all of those kinds of things. Financial authority is me getting into a place where I actually can do the thing that he's called me to do. I'm funded in it, and I can help fund others in their thing as well and be generous with what God has given me. That's financial authority. And this doesn't mean that we name it, claim it. It doesn't mean that every Jesus follower should have millions because they ask for it. It doesn't mean that all of us should be rich and wealthy. You want to know a fact about wealth? You know why some people are wealthy and others are not? This is going to, break, this is going to blow your mind. Everybody get ready. Get the tweet machine out, right? You want to know why some people are rich and others are not? Because they know how to make money. It's a skill. There is a skill in making money. Some of you have skills that are more marketable than others. I unfortunately chose to preach the Bible. That is not a good asset in the corporate world, right? That is not a money-making endeavor. There are some of you who you have skills that people are willing to pay for those skills, and you should charge top dollar to, for it. Because if people want it, and you can give it, and you can get that money, I would rather that money be in your hands, and you're generously distributing it to others than it be in somebody else's hands who's gonna hold it for themselves. The reality is, like, wealth is a learned skill. It's nurture and it's nature. Some of you grew up in a family where your family had wealth and your parents taught you how to have wealth. My kids are in trouble. <laughs> right? They're going to have to figure that out on their own. That's just the reality of wealth for us. It doesn't mean that we all get what we want. It doesn't mean that there's some supernatural return on our generosity, even when we have the wrong motives. God's most concerned with our hearts and our motivation and our motives, and he wants to teach us to have his heart in every area of our life. He wants us to be more compassionate. He wants us to be more empathetic. He wants us to be more kind. He wants us to distribute our time and our dollars in the same way that Jesus would do it if he were us. Think of yourself as a conduit in which Jesus wants to pour out his blessings. We just planted some grass in our backyard. Our, our, our grass dies every year in our backyard. I don't know what's going on. I'm thinking about turf. Uh, it, it's, we've been here for, this is our sixth year. Every summer, it dies uh, in our backyard. So we hired professionals. They know what they're doing. We've actually hired professionals three times. Uh, but this time, we're, we're pretty confident. Jose knows what's going on. He's going to help us out. He's been in our backyard. We've talked about it. We've come up with a plan. I know exactly when I'm supposed to sprinkle it. I know exactly when I'm supposed to do it. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. He has given me all the instructions of how I'm supposed to make this work. So I went out there this week, turned on the hose. I know I'm supposed to run it for 12 minutes. 12 is very specific. All right? I know I'm supposed to run it for 12 minutes, move it to different spots. Um, but the hose had a knot in it, right? It, it, was, it was okay. I figured it out. Uh, but, <laughs> but, 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 like, nothing's flowing out of it because everything's stuck, right? You guys know. So, like, nothing's going to grow. Nothing's going to flourish as long as the conduit to get the water that's the source of all life is stuck. This is the church. 
This is so many people in the church. We are the conduit to be the blessing to the world around us. The water, the living water of the, of the Father is supposed to flow out of us to everyone around us. And we've got these knots tied into it where the blessing isn't coming out and everything is stuck and my water bill is going up, but we're not distributing the wealth in any way. Think of yourself as the conduit in which God wants to bless the world. Think of yourself, like, like I wonder when we start walking around thinking, who am I going to bless? Who has God placed in my path that I can bless and serve this week? One of the things we did when our children were little is we, we created what we called a war chest. It was a very small war chest, but we had a war chest, which means every month we would give a certain amount to the church. It was a little more than the amount we were called to, and we had a little more on the side that we would set aside, and what we said to the kids is we have a certain amount of dollars every single month that we're looking to bless other people with, and we want you to tell us who we should bless. We left the decisions up to children, right? But here's what it did. My kids were running around as elementary school kids looking at their school saying, Dad, there's this one kid and like he doesn't have any shoes. I like to buy him his shoes. And then we talk to him about, okay, how do we buy him shoes? Give it to the teacher so that nobody knows who did it so that that kid gets shoes. We started this kind of thing and our kids just started being on the lookout for who they could bless. They knew exactly how much money we had every month to bless and they were on the lookout. There were a number of times where we were like, that is not a blessing, we're not going to do that. That is, wise, that is unwise stewardship. We're not giving this to your buddy so he can get a Nintendo game so you can go over to his house and play it. That's not what we were talking about, right? So there was teaching and training in there, but the idea was we're teaching and training how to bless. So let me show you two texts. Psalm 67 verses one through two says this. It says, may God be merciful and bless us. This is what we all want, right? We all wanna be blessed. But here's the reason why we're blessed. May his face shine on us. May we have his favor. May your ways be known throughout the earth. May your saving power among people everywhere. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. We are blessed by him so that others might be blessed, so that the whole world would know. This is true in our knowledge, it's true in our skills, it's true in our giftedness, and it's true in our finances. We have been blessed. May God's mercy bless us. May his face and favor shine on you. You know what I pray for sometimes when I pray for the church? I pray that all of your businesses thrive and succeed. Every business owner in here, I have prayed for your business, whether I know your name or not. Because when we're blessed, we can bless others. We're able to distribute the wealth. Ecclesiastes 9.16 is not as nice. It says this. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. What they will say will not be appreciated for very long. Have you ever had somebody try and teach you about wealth that has no wealth? Have you ever had somebody try and teach you how to run your business that doesn't know how to run a business? It's tough. It's tough to do that. I recognize that it's tough for me to talk about wealth and talk about finances and talk about those things. But when we think about it correctly, when we think about it rightly, we know we are blessed to be a blessing, but in order to be a blessing, you must first what? Be blessed. You must first be blessed. And so it's a good thing to ask for. It's a good thing to pray for. It's a good thing to ask for, but when you're asking for favor and for wealth and for riches and for dollars and for more money, 
Are you thinking about it in terms of, I got to get that new boat so that we can get out there and get skiing? Or are you thinking about, I got a missionary in the Muslim world that I want to give more dollars to. And I just wish we could give a little more. I just wish we could serve a little more. I just wish we could give a little more. I, I've gotten in the habit. So a friend of mine talked to me a few months ago, and, and he said this. He said, treat every person you come in contact with the way that you would want someone else to treat your children. I'm not perfect at it. I'm struggling with it at times still. But like, I've really started thinking about it in terms of servers. So every time I go to a restaurant, the servers are about Caden's age or Cole's age. So they're my kid's age, most of them. Uh, and they, half of them are, are terrible right now, right? Are you with me? Like, there's a, there's a shortage of workers everywhere. Everybody's doing their best. It's really hard right now. Um, there's a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. And so every time I'm thinking, I just want to serve them the way that I would want somebody else to serve my children. And almost at the end of every meal, I actually say a prayer and I say, Jesus, I would like to give them more, but I can't right now. And there's a few times a month where we give really generously to a server. My wife will look at it and be like, oh, really? Like, that's what we're doing? That's what we're doing. Uh, yeah, I felt like Jesus told me to. I felt like that's what we're supposed to do. But there's this thing of like, I wish, I, I wish we could do a little more. You have that feeling? You have that instinct? That's a good instinct. It's been placed in you by the Father. Scripture says that goodness and mercy is actually following us. It runs us down. It chases us down. This is our inheritance as being sons of the Father. We are sons of the living God who has authority and power over the whole earth, and his blessing is following us. It's chasing us down. It's running us down. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are obligated not only to bless others, but you're obligated to be blessed in certain ways. You can't take credit for blessing because you didn't do it. Prosperity is not looking what, look at what I did with my hard work. It's not believing that one day the resources are going to run out. It's not saying I'm rich and wealthy and you're not. When Jesus blesses his people, we all get rich. We all win. We all succeed. And what the world doesn't see often enough is Christians who love their work and love to serve and love to bless. We're almost afraid to talk about it sometimes. Like, you know the people who have given the greatest gifts to our church? None of them want to be known. None of them want anyone to know what they gave. None of them want anyone to know how generous they are. None of them want, want anybody to know what's happening. And there's something that's really holy and good about that. Because scripture says, I, I want to give with my left but not understand with my right. right? I, I, I want to do this not so that everybody will celebrate me, but I want to do this kind of in hiding. But I do think there are times when we need to talk to others. Maybe it's privately. Maybe it's in conversation. Maybe it's in the people that you're discipling and give them a vision for how generous you are and why you're as generous as how you are and how Jesus taught you to be that generous. I don't want you to withhold discipleship because of humility. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we withhold the ways in which we can teach and train others because we want to be humble when actually what people need is they need actually a conversation with somebody who's built something, who's been generous with their wealth, who gives way more than what they're supposed to, but is faithful to what Jesus has told them to do. And so I want you to be on the lookout for who are the people that you need to be discipling in being blessed to be a blessing. If you're prosperous, who are the people around you that you need to say, I wonder if they're, prosper I wonder if they're prosperous too? 
Because they seem to have a lot of money, but I'm not sure whether they're generous with it. So I want to walk beside them, and I want to help them. Um, The world needs to see Christians who are blessed, who enjoy their family, who enjoy their friends, who enjoy their work, who generously give what they can and what they've been entrusted with. And here's, here's the reality of being blessed. Uh, I could have one person come up here and I could give them $5. And I could say, in fact, we, we talked about doing this, but the church doesn't have any money. So we thought about doing this, but we, not, not this week. We, we, don't have any, we don't have anything to give away this week. With $5, I'm going to give Grant $5. Grant, take this $5 and give it to the poor this week. I promise you Grant's going to do that. He's going to find somewhere. He's, gonna been, he's been entrusted with that $5. He's going to do it. He's going to give it somewhere. I could look at Brian and say, Brian, I'm going to give you 20 Give you 20 bucks. You do what you want with it. Give it to the poor. Just it has to be distributed generously. Uh, I, I could look at Cecile and say, Cecile, I'm going to give you $500. $500. It needs to be distributed. I don't have it now. This is just an illustration, everyone. It's just an illustration. Right, I'm going to give you 500 Go do what you want. I could look at Cleve and say, Cleve, I'm going to give you $3 million. I'm going to give you $3 million. We got this big chest behind the piano. We, that's where you keep all the money, in the piano there. Right, we hide it in there. We got a big chest in there. I'm going to hand it to you. Take that $3 million. I trust that you're going to give it to the poor. Now, here's the question that I have to ask you. Cleve has $3 million. Grant has five. Who has the more power to be a blessing? Cleve. To be a financial blesser, right? We can, we can say everybody to like, can I bless with words? Can I bless with encouragement? But some people just need the bills paid, and Cleve is going to help with that more than Grant. All right, so I could go to Grant and be like, hey, man, I can't pay my rent this month. And Grant's like, I got five bucks. And I'm like, well, thanks, buddy. Or I can go to Cleve and say, I can't pay my rent this month. And Cleve can say, I'm going to pay it for you. Right? How is that evil? Money is neutral. What we do with it is what matters. Uh, let's jump to the other side of this grid. Let's look at this through the other side. Let's look at the poverty trap. So we've talked about the prosperity trap. Let's look at the poverty trap. Um, imagine this is two ditches on either side of the road, and, and, and the poverty trap is saying this. It's saying God's will for me is to be poor and for me not to prosper, and he wants me to be poor. In fact, it's more holy for me to be poor than for me to be rich. I don't know if you've ever heard this theology before. Uh, we were in Louisville, Kentucky. We were pastoring a small church, and we invited a couple over to our home. Uh, this couple came to our home, and we fixed dinner and made dinner for them and hung out and spent some time with them. Um, dinner was over. We walked to the living room. It was me and the, the, the guy, and we were just having a conversation in our living room, and he said, hey, can I ask you an honest question without you getting mad? Um, which always means, if you're a pastor, that means just brace yourself because something terrible is about to happen. Right? There is trauma built up in pastors around these things. I'm not joking about that, right? Something terrible is about to happen. Here's what he says. He said, how can you as a pastor justify that TV? And I was like, what do you mean? Because we didn't have like a 300-foot t- television. We had like a 42-inch television in our house. And he was like, how can you as a pastor have a TV that's at large when there's people right outside your house that are poor and that are struggling? It's a fair question. So I said, like, well, what size TV do you have? He said, well, we have a 32-inch, not a 42. And I was like, okay, so you're saying, like, Jesus is okay with 32, but that extra 10 inches, Jesus is really unhappy with. 
That's what you're saying. Right? Um, what I didn't tell him was that at that point in time, my wife and I had not taken a paycheck from the church for the last four months so that everybody else in the church could get paid. What I didn't tell them is we didn't have the money to go buy the groceries that we bought for them that night, but we did it anyway. The poverty trap allows us to judge everybody else's distribution of dollars and wealth without even being critical about the way we, what we do with our own. It allows us to look at everyone else and say, we, this is the way you're supposed to do it. Without understanding that you've been blessed to be a blessing. Some of the most amazing gifts I've ever received as a pastor were not large gifts. But they were large percentage gifts. They were gifts where I know it was the widow's might. Where I know this person did not have the money to write that check right now to the church but they did it anyway, and they dropped it off, and they always say this, I'm sorry, Pastor, I know this isn't much, and I want to cry and hold them and say it's way more than enough. I know a lot of people who have nothing who are way more generous than people who have a lot. And the poverty trap allows us to believe that because I have nothing, I'm somehow being holy. Or because I don't have much, I'm somehow being holy. And I can look at everybody else's use of wealth and say, well, they've got that car. They've got that TV. They bought that meal. They supersize their McDonald's meal. Right? We don't supersize. We stick with the medium drinks. <laughs> it's really holy. Right? You can look at everybody else and judge. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. This is Jesus' mission statement. Jesus stands up to preach. He shares his mission statement with the world. Listen to what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is my kingdom dream, is what Jesus is saying. This is what I'm skilled to do. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm asked to do. This is what I'm stepping into. The spirit of the Lord is on me. And he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor will come. Listen to what he says. Captives, what happens to the captives? Set free. What happens to the blind? What happens to the oppressed? Set free. What happens to the poor? Oops. It doesn't say the poor is going to be rich. What's it say? The poor will get the good news. Why? Why don't the poor get a paycheck? Why doesn't it say, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The poor are going to get a meal tonight, and it's going to be delicious. Because Jesus actually believes that the good news, the gospel, contains the power of God. Jesus actually understands poverty way deeper than we understand poverty. Because poverty is not just about our bank account, it's about our heart. Jesus understands the reality. And listen, I want you to understand, there is a real reality that the poor are among us. Scripture says they will always be among us. There are people that are hurting, there are people that don't have enough, there are people that are struggling. All the time. It happens all the time where we get called, we get calls, people need mercy, they need generosity, they need help, they need something. And, and the first question I always ask to anybody that calls is, hey, we're happy to help. We've got some ways in place that we can help and serve you. Um, last year as a church, we gave away nearly $100,000 to people in our community who are in need and to church planting so that more churches can do what we're doing. We give very generously to the, dollar, with the dollars that we have 
But the first question I always ask is, why are you calling us? Like, here's what makes me sad for you. I have this conversation. Here's what makes me sad for you, is you're going through the phone book to try and call people instead of being in relationship with people. And so we can help you. We'll help you pay your bills. We will help you get gas in your car. We will help you with whatever need that you need in your life right now. We're going to do everything we can to help you and serve you in that capacity. But I think the better thing that I can offer you is relationship. And I want to invite you to be a part of our church. Because if you're a part of our church family, you don't have to go through the phone book to find somebody that will bless you. There are 200 people in a room every single Sunday that are ready to bless you and serve you. Because I don't want you to have to call some random person because a, a, a real community offers relationship. They offer hope. They offer faith. They offer vision. They offer grace. They offer mercy. They're walking beside me. They're praying for me. They're caring for me. They're in it together. Poverty is not always about money. It's actually oftentimes about relationships. We're in the sixth year of me being pastor of this church. Uh, when I first came here, we had two weeks reserve in the bank. We had very, very little. And I remember lots of people were calling us. I don't know, Grace was kind of towards the front of the alphabet. I think people were working through the phone book. Grace Marietta, people saw the sign and drive by. And a lot of people were calling us and we didn't have any strategies or any way to serve people. And I remember... I was like, all right, I don't know what we're going to do long term, but today we are going over to Kroger and we're going to buy $1,000 worth of gift cards. And everybody was like, ooh, $1,000. We went and we bought $1,000 of gift cards. We kept them on file. We came up with a strategy that when people came in, we're just going to give them a gift card if they need a gift card. We're just going to serve if we can serve. We're going to try and find out. We've gotten a billion times better at this. Melissa and Douglas are so much better at this than me. My, my, my impulse was just buy gift cards. Uh, they actually have a strategy for all this. Six years ago, we were not able to give much and serve much and help much. We gave what we could at the time. Six years later, we were able to give almost $100,000 away this year because the church has grown, because we've become more prosperous. The poorest strategy to helping the poor is to be poor yourself. It's the worst strategy to help the poor. And if poverty is so holy, then why does the Bible command us to take care of the poor? We can fall into that poverty trap and believe, I'm just so holy because I'm doing things the right way. Look at that 2 Corinthians 9, 8 verse again. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Listen to the words in here. These are like extravagant verbs, abundantly, right? Not, not God's able to bless you a little bit. You're able to get by. I'm able to bless you abundantly. So that in what things? All things. At what times? Having how much of what we need? That we will What? In how many works? Every good work. Like the Lord is waiting to bless us. Because when he blesses us, he believes that that blessing goes outward. But he is testing us. I've said this since the day that I arrived. The most theological document that you possess on whether you are faithful to following Jesus or not is your checkbook and your calendar. 
If I had access to every person in this room's checkbook or calendar, I could tell you whether you're being faithful to Jesus or not. Are we generous with what we have? Are we generous with the time that we have? Are we distributing ourselves so that we can bless others? All of those things matter. We're going to spend a lot more time on this in the coming weeks, and I know that there's a lot of different questions in your mind. I know a lot of you are thinking through. So this is a long series, right? This is just the intro, because I know some of you are thinking, well, wasn't Jesus poor, right? Son of man didn't have a place to lay his head, right? Some of you are thinking that. We're going to talk about that. I know some of you are thinking, what about the camel and the needle thing? How do we deal with that? I know some of you are thinking about lots of different questions. We're going to walk through all of those questions and talk about this. But here's what I want you to understand today. Financial poverty is not spiritual. Enjoying God's blessing is. God has called us to stewardship, not poverty. He has entrusted us with what we have for the sake of others and for the sake of our own discipleship. And financial prosperity is not spiritual. Because you have more money does not mean that you are more righteous. God wants us to prosper, but not in the ways that we think. He wants us to be blessed, to be a blessing. And money, bank account, is not always a sign of obedience. Our generosity is. And so we're gonna move into a time of communion. Uh, There's communion stations kind of set up all around the room. The band's gonna come up, and there's communion stations here in the front and in the back, and you can go grab your communion cup. And, And here's what I want you to do as you grab Uh, the elements, and as you think through communion, here's what I want you to think about. I I want you just to ask Jesus the question, what lies am I believing about my finances? Where am I falling into the poverty trap or the prosperity trap? What does that look like? And then secondly, what truth do you want to give me, Jesus, to exchange for the lie? What's the truth that you want to give me today? What's the truth that you want to speak to me about my finances? And here's my prayer, guys. My prayer is that over this series that our church becomes more generous, that our church becomes more trusting, that our church has a very clear understanding of what we're called to do so that we know how to live out our faith in a really wonderful and beautiful way. And and I believe the answers to all of our questions are found in Jesus. And we're crazy enough to believe that the Holy Spirit is moving every time we gather together. That the Holy Spirit right now is willing and ready and available and wants to speak to you. And so right now, you have access to the Father. Right now, the God who created the world in existence, who breathed the world into life, wants to interact with you. And here's the crazy thing. He cares about where you are. So if you're coming in today feeling like, Lord, there's not enough, and I'm anxious and I'm worried and I don't know how I'm going to pay that next bill, he cares about you. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows your problems. He knows your challenges. And you can boldly say, Father, I need a new plan. I need a new strategy. I need a new vision. I need new finances. Will you reveal something to me? Because the power for the poor is not prosperity. It's the good news. And the good news is available to all of you right now. And if you're killing it right now, and you're like, man, I I don't even know what this guy's drubbing on and on about. Maybe the Lord's just going to challenge you to be more generous. Maybe he's going to place some people in your heart. Maybe you need to start thinking about what's my war chest 
that I'm going to give away each month? Who's the person that I'm looking to bless, serve, care for? Let's just take a moment. Let's quietly just sit in his presence and just say, Jesus, would you speak to me about my finances now? So Heavenly Father, I trust that you'll do the work that I can't do right now. I pray that you would speak loudly and clearly. I pray that you would communicate everything that we need to communicate. And I pray that in this room there is no shame or guilt or condemnation, but there is only grace and mercy and hope and love. So right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus, we ask you to speak. We say speak now for your servants are listening and we want to hear from you. Would you teach us to be faithful with our finances? Would you teach us to be generous? Would you teach us that everything you have entrusted us with was given to us so that we may bless others? So bless us so that we might be a blessing. It's in Jesus' name.